Welcome to the podcast with me Aditya Sondhi. The podcast features conversations around caste, seeking to unravel the visible and invisible presence of caste in urban settings, academia and practice. These podcasts endeavor to throw light upon the various dimensions of societal discrimination that are hidden in plain sight based on the lived experiences of my guests. My guest on this edition of the podcast is Vijayta Kumar who teaches English at St Joseph's College. She teaches a course called Resisting Caste to her postgraduate batch and has written and spoken widely on issues around caste. Welcome to the podcast Vijayta. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I want to begin by asking you about a course that you've specially structured at St Joseph's mm. which is revisiting caste. Mm. Uh, would you Resist, tell us resisting. resisting caste? Resist. I'm sorry. Would you tell us how uh, the mm. course is structured and how it's been received okay. by your students? Uh so we began uh, this in 2016. uh back then it was called resisting caste uh so we remained with the model the idea was to get the students to take a look at how uh what kind of research or uh studies are happening around caste and then uh, it was noticed that even before they look at research it was important to ask them how many of them knew about caste uh and we were surprised to find that not many of them wanted to talk about it there's a huge resistance to talking about caste um and then we uh, i sat on the board and made another syllabus called dalit and bahujan literatures uh in an entire section around ambedkar to uh, sort of get them to look at how even within the freedom movement and post independence ambedkar's role not just in governmental constitution in the making of the constitution but also in terms of understanding somebody like ambedkar as an artist as a writer uh, was curious for me um but i noticed that even uh two years and so now we are running in the fourth year of the syllabus and i'm noticing that the the resistance to talking about caste hasn't changed students in fact are more perceptive and uh, responsive to race and racism than to caste mm-hmm. um it becomes a little difficult to get them to take a look at how caste affects uh, their own interpersonal relationships and friendships etc um so uh it's challenging for me because i have to get them to look at caste so i end up often becoming the villain here because mm-hmm. i'm and the question they often ask is if you want to leave that behind you why are you talking about it why is it on our syllabus um if it's such a dirty thing then shouldn't we talk about overcoming it and not what mm-hmm. has happened so in the way they talk about it it's almost as if it's in the past it's 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 not something that is there now anywhere so it's a challenge to make them see it and once you make them see it it becomes a challenge then to make them look at the academic value in it mm-hmm. because for them it's something that can be picked up outside why are they learning it in the classroom is something that they don't understand so there is ironically a resistance to a course on resisting caste. yes there is um so i often have to rely on questions about race to get them to take a look at caste So I once asked them do you think caste determines who becomes friends with whom and they immediately said no they were very defensive 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I said, okay, do you think then uh, racism defend? I mean, race uh, determines who becomes friends with whom? They said yes, maybe to an extent because maybe white people are more comfortable become being friends with white people, and that's that's a that's a race thing. And then I said, if it's if it's if it's happening within the framework of race, why do you think it doesn't happen with caste? Uh, is it because it's not visible? or mm-hmm. uh, is it because you're not looking at it or even if you do it has other names now things like common interests compatibility um, etc etc the way people are brought up yeah you know all, all of these are examples of how caste continues to function uh, so it's it's challenging because um i it's almost as if i'm the bearer of the bad news here mm-hmm. that it's that we are all in a system where we participate in in these rituals uh, willingly unwillingly but it's there it's interesting that their connect with race is stronger mm. when in a sense race is perhaps uh, more alien to our indigenous yes, society yes. where do you think that's coming from any discourse they would have picked up on social media yes but also because they think that in injustice that that is far more visible demands much more uh, urgent attention than mm-hmm. something that is less visible it's an assumption to think that caste is not visible of course it is but they call it by other names such uh, as such as hygiene for instance i mm-hmm. don't eat in other people's houses because right. uh, my parents told me it's not hygienic or um, i uh, are these genuine beliefs or is it some sort of whitewashing to justify caste dis- when practices the more they talk about it i think that's when they slowly start to realize that uh, there's something else which is where the value of the cause really is yes then. once they begin to ask these questions so we make them do an autoethnography paper around family history and personal history too mm-hmm. so that they can ask the question where did i come from uh, often what happens with research on caste is in i mean i took i took a look at before making this syllabus i wanted to see what work on caste was already done sure so i looked at food and caste nutrition and caste and found that a lot of the work was done by um non dalit people about dalit experiences mm-hmm. um and this is all this also became an example to show them how a paper like this again it opens up questions such as if i'm doing a res- research or something on caste then i'm almost always going to end up talking about somebody who doesn't look like me who doesn't talk like me so in in, in within the purview of indian academics this is favored a lot where mm-hmm. you that's called research when you the the further the experience from you is the better the research is going to be or mm-hmm. things like that. so we do something called auto ethnography which is uh, you talk about your lives and leave other people alone you tell me what your food history is in what cases do you think in your family have they allowed love marriages or intercaste marriages sure. or conversions etc so when they take a look at this they are able to have a lot of these uncomfortable conversations with their family members mm-hmm. and that gives them a sense of okay not everybody comes from the same place that i do yeah there is a difference and there's a difference in my family in the way people are treated in the way people permits and um, allow permissions to some people and not to other people so there is a realization that comes about there is, there is. to that extent you are uh, breaking barriers in the sense that a lot of stuff is probably passed off as just cultural mm, practice mm, mm, yes willy-nilly and if uh, younger students are able to see that mm. then there is greater scope for change in a way hopefully hopefully yeah but do you do you perceive that in your broader classroom as well i mean your undergraduate 
students yes, do sir. you see a caste dynamic there do you see prejudice playing out uh, i have always believed that classrooms are not built for learning because of how how much difference there is between two students um, and not a teacher is not always equipped to deal with a difference like this because it it takes us years to get to know students and before you know it they are graduating and there's very sure. little you can do there mm-hmm. uh, but even so um, i've noticed that the more i talk about caste in in my ug classrooms as well uh, it allows two kinds of things to happen a it gets people who have only been friends with people who look like them and talk like them they mm-hmm. sort of start noticing that uh, they only this is the problem in their lives that right. there is no sense of perceiving other people's lives the other thing it does is it sort of tends to help dalit and bahujan students to to find their realities being represented in some form somewhere mm-hmm. um i have noticed that many of them feel very cut off in the things that have, that are being discussed in class etc uh to give you an example uh, textbooks for instance mm-hmm. never seem to document or curate any kind of dalit bahujan experience either yeah. it's food or uh, livelihood etc uh i was once uh, in a class where we were talking somebody mentioned scones yeah. and it was strange because in an indian textbook i don't know what scones are doing precisely uh, it's obviously a british author yeah so uh, it is strange and then we got them to look at scones and somebody got scone mixture and then they ate scones and they said this tastes like nothing i don't <laughs> know why there's such a big deal about it it reminded me of kancha ilaya's experience with school where his um, grandmother didn't let him go to school because they believe that saraswati kills our children and that's why we can't send our children to schools because all bahujan kids are going missing or <coughs> appearing dead out of nowhere mm-hmm. and his mother put his her foot down and said no my son will go to the school and he goes to school and he finds that the teacher there is doing a a a e e and when it comes to r they say r is for rishi uh-huh. and ilaya finds that this is very strange because why are people admitting that the rishi who is this rishi i have never seen a rishi in my life right so but i have to accommodate the idea of r with rishi now and this is somebody i have never seen in my life it presents a very real problem that indian academia hasn't been able to answer that very often in our experiences of setting syllabus or doing these pta meetings etc we are rarely imagining the dalit student or the dalit parent uh, for dalit parents especially in cities the idea of parenthood itself is challenged now and on top of that you are expected to know your children's assignments science projects etc that sure. they have no idea about when they come to these pta meetings it's pretty much like a reunion between teachers and other parents savarna mm-hmm. parents where they are discussing things like somebody's upanayana <clears throat> ceremony or what did you bring for dinner or right so and you see this i saw it in school a lot mm-hmm. i saw it in school a lot where pta meetings were like a huge humiliation round for uh, my parents because it it was felt like they were on the outside they were on the outside even if they had given donations to the school and Right. Uh, all my siblings and I were both studying in this school, so that kind of familiarity that is offered to other parents goes missing here in this mm-hmm. discourse. So, what what then drove you to get uh, very much back into this space of academia, having seen this yourself firsthand? I didn't register it as uh, caste in the mm-hmm. beginning because my parents never mentioned it. Sure. We didn't talk about it much. It appeared to me only after I discovered Ambedkar in college, and that too after I started working. 
there were comments and questions about how uh, why am I teaching courses that should be taught by more qualified people uh, I have an NET but uh, this NET is not valid because it was because of reservation so mm. when these questions started coming about I was wondering uh, some of my colleagues were able to point out that it's happening because of caste it's sure. a caste uh, remark that they've made and it never occurred to me that that could be it and when I discovered Ambedkar, a lot of the things from my school started making sense. So how did you discover Ambedkar? Uh, a colleague mentioned it and he said, when these people talk to you like this, mm-hmm. you should just put a picture of Ambedkar on your table. It'll right. shut them up. I do. I did that and I, I didn't realize what I was doing when I was doing it. So it's only after I put that picture up and it, it sort of tended, it seemed to scare some people. And I couldn't understand why that was happening. It's only now that I realize what actually happened mm-hmm. when it happened. I uh, read uh, Waiting for a Visa. And much of the loneliness that he speaks of was a kind of loneliness that I don't think is available in other kinds of literature in India. And when you talk, when you take a text like Waiting for a Visa and you take it to a UG classroom in India, it sort of unlocks a lot of potential for these students to find some kind of balance in their classroom life now. And it's honest writing, which they it need is. to see. Yeah. It is. And the kind of loneliness he speaks of is not coming from anything else, but the loneliness of caste. Of, caste. of, of, yeah. of being in a position where everybody is hell-bent on making you see yourself in a certain way and you're resisting it. But it's interesting when you mention Bangalore, isn't there an obvious intersection of class and caste that you see in the academic circles? There is. Which is why I think reservation alone is never enough mm-hmm. uh, to get these students where they need to go. Because, and this always happens in classrooms. When I mention caste, the first thing that they attack is reservation. It's almost like a distraction tactic now. Uh, almost as if there's nothing about caste that needs talking about. You know, the violence, the aggression, nothing. Uh, so what I mean is... Um, my parents moved to the city to give us an education in top schools and colleges. While they could give us that because of class, mm-hmm. there was still classrooms dynamic is run itself by a certain kind of capital that my parents couldn't give. That they don't know how to give. And a social was, capital. Yes, a social cultural capital that most Dalit parents are very puzzled by. Um, that nothing can help you with. So even now... Um, a lot of the some of the Dalit students in the classroom are, are some of them are toppers some of them have good social circles and everything else even so there is something that that they're not able to get from their classmates which is a certain kind of approval a certain right. kind of standing and you can see them seeking it they are yeah. I, I can see them because it's it's very visible in how how strong it is mm-hmm. the need for this this social Respect or whatever. And obviously that need rec- remains once they graduate. Uh, if it anything, does. it gets it even sharper in the real world. It does. It does. Um, so while class is able to give give these students some sense of comfort in terms of not a pressing need to to sort of... Maybe they're just able to focus on studies and work when, when, when money is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not enough because it just goes on to show that even though they have this, they're never going to get that. And to get that, they what they're actually being asked of is, you need to show me your birth 
before I can give you a certain kind of respect. Right. And I say, both I mean, who are your parents? Where did your mother come from? Who's your father? Where do they work? Etc. Which are set in stone. Yes. But do you then see uh, these kids either trying to hide their caste or mm. do you see them sort of escaping India itself to work overseas and try and be in what you could call a neutral environment? I do. Uh, they hide sometimes, which is what I think my parents also did to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is, even if you hide it well, you will never be able to hide it well enough for somebody who's drenched in a system where they can look at you and tell you where you're from. Sure. And it seems as though people have their own languages to figure out where you're from, even though you hide it very well. Uh, the questions are very direct sometimes. Right. The the So they... Uh, even something is uh, mad and strange is who was your music teacher in high school uh -huh. and you tell them what music teacher this it's a very strange silly thing but the school that I went to yeah, it, there was almost a network of sorts and everybody knew what had to be done right. so after classes <clears throat> got over the only thing I, I did was go back home to my parents and watch TV or whatever but there was a whole range of training happening which uh -huh. is quite invisible in school which is that a good Brahmin child after school, they'll go to their music lessons and then dance and then classical, something, something. All of this training is happening. Sure. And that's also training that gives you friends, that gets you social networking and all of that. So in college, where you think that maybe their priorities will be different, they are not because they continue to bond in these same questions and answers. Right. Uh, do you know this? And do you know that? And who's your favorite band, etc, etc, etc. It's not possible to have answers to these. That's interesting. It was food up to a point. It's also music. Food, music, where you stay, which films have you watched mm -hmm. and what you think of these films. All, all of this. Um, and you find this is inadvertent? Can't escape it because even though their parents have tried very much to hide it or mm -hmm. to give their children everything that they'll need to survive in a classroom like this. Some, they, I'm not saying it's not at all possible to escape it. It is, but... But why should one? Yeah. And see, if you're constantly trying to cover up yourself, mm -hmm. you're not in college to cover that up. You're in college to study, to figure yourself out. Mm, it has a deeper that. identity issue, mm. I think. Uh, how long can you mm. also cover? Yeah. At some point, it's going to come back to you, right? So it's and unfair because I know a lot of students who don't have to worry about things like that. Sure. Who, who are spending all their college time having fun, studying and figuring themselves out. And this again is a distraction ploy because if you're so busy covering yourself up, how will you figure yourself out? How will you figure out Absolutely. your relationship with craft, what you want to do, etc., etc. That takes me then to the uh, national education policy. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think it at all addresses some of these concerns? It, it doesn't. It doesn't because it was drafted by, I think, a, a board of people who I don't think have paid attention to an Indian classroom at all. Uh, the diversity that you find in an undergraduate English-speaking Indian classroom is, is mad because mm -hmm. we have students coming here from the Northeast. We have students coming from Tamil Nadu, Kerala, Andhra Pradesh, Maharashtra. Um, We've had students who come from Tamil medium schools or Kannada medium schools. And very often, some of my students are 
also working uh, as uh, Amazon delivery executives or Dunzo delivery boys and mm. things like that. And their their work funda is this. I come to college, I do my work and then I go. So all of the work that you want students to stay back for, like writing work or reading work, they don't have a relationship with that at all. Mm. So the there's a certain kind of mindless idea of sending a child to the college that's that's occurring even now, which is that at the end of the day, if you, if they get one certificate that that will get them jobs, that's more than enough. So what the NEP does is it allows students to exit anytime they want right. in a four-year degree course. Uh, at the end of two semesters, they can leave with a certificate course and diploma and things like that. And it's not often that these students will want to come back to get their degrees. Mm-hmm. And the outside the world wants, I mean, they get free labor in some sense because these people may not even go up to 30,000 per month right. or 25,000 per month. And they'll continue to say, you don't have a degree, but you have a course, you have a certificate, so certificate. I can give you this yeah. much. It's interesting. So what was meant to be a flexible option is working itself out in a very different way. It is, it is. And I think this also goes to show that every time this policy is made or any kind of policy is made or any kind of draft is made, I don't know how many of them are actually imagining a Dalit student on the college campus. It's not even possible for other students to imagine Dalit students on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, I don't know. I don't know why it's difficult for people to imagine a student who, who is not the ideal student that they have in mind. Ideal itself being a subjective word. Uh, yeah, basically a Brahmin student who already knows everything that there is to know. And well, the obvious uh, solution to that would be a greater diversity mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the bodies that make these policies yes. or lay yes. down the curriculum. Exactly. Do you see that happening on the management side? Uh, what is your experience being a professor? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, do you see that diversity coming in from the establishment side in Indian academia? I see it slowly, but uh, you know the reason I was telling you about that autoethnography paper was also mm-hmm. to show you how Indian academia is sometimes scares me to think how much uh, risk there is in ending, ending up like everybody else because you talk to five Indian academicians today and they are all talking like each other. It's the same dictionary they're using, the same words. And my worry is that my students are beginning to think that surviving in academia meaning means sounding like that. Sounding like that, and they they their fear is that I'm not as intelligent, so mm-hmm. I don't think I can survive this. Uh, That's actually something very uh, deep in terms of an identity mm-hmm. that you can have a vocabulary mm-hmm. of your own. Mm-hmm. Yes, and still be cerebral and unique in your exactly yeah. that that. There's almost no place for an idea like that anymore. Uh, it's scary because I, I I speak to two teachers from Bombay about setting syllabus mm-hmm. and and their language is so uh, drenched in what people will call Indian pedagogy or whatever. Right. Every two seconds, words like uh, invisibilization or subaltern and this right. and that and. Um, I think academia at this mo- moment is only stuck there. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they have the time to even ask questions such as, okay, who is on this board with us now? Do we have enough representation, etc., etc. Surviving in Indian academia is very difficult. Uh, thankfully, because I've had good seniors here in my college who, mm-hmm. who are sensitive to things like gender and caste, which means that... Uh, 
I got to shape my own relationship with both these things much earlier. Sure. And it allows me now to do the same thing for young people. Uh, is it time then for a Dalit university, a Bahujan university? I don't know. I'm not sure because uh, I think the idea of a classroom. When I earlier said that it's not meant for learning, mm-hmm. it's also some sense of forced mixing that is happening. Right. And I'm not opposed to that idea. The idea that you meet somebody who's not like you. is very rich i mean it it does something to you when you meet people and you see people who are not like you every day the only difference is when they is the problem with a classroom like this is only the people who talk will keep talking and the ones who can show you another side to education etc will not talk so i'm not opposed to the idea of a classroom like this where there are multiple people like from different backgrounds meeting each other and talking each other because they need to mix mm-hmm. um that's a certain kind of anti-casteness that's already happening uh when you take two people and put them in a room with five other people who don't look like them who don't talk like them and who all have to have lunch together uh something changes it does so long as uh, people come with open minds yes and i suppose that's the environment you work to i do yes, yes yes but you mentioned gender which is mm-hmm. obviously again a very mm. important i don't know if i could say it's a subset but it's a very important element of mm-hmm. of under, understanding caste mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on that mm. i am very conscious of it when i am in a room full of students who seem to take male authority more seriously than anything else mm-hmm. uh which is that um uh, i have to sort of constantly share my vulnerability and use that as a way of getting people to shut up and listen sometimes in a classroom uh, it's it's not fun all the time to be vulnerable all the time it's it's not nice for me it's not nice for anybody else even with your girl students you feel that all the time yeah yeah because the tendency again in the academic space is that you tend to take somebody who's male and who's um, more as somebody who has more authority than somebody who's not male um and this is visible in the classroom it's visible in the workspace it's visible everywhere else uh so that's been my relationship with it um but um i'm i'm also sensing that i do now have something to fight it which is that um there's a certain kind of solidarity that becomes possible when um students tend to notice that this is happening as well Sure. and they make an effort to listen to you and they make an effort and i'm very interested in what that solidarity does in in a space like this um the other thing that i often do is i write about my classroom experiences mm-hmm. um it gives me some sense of strength in in the classroom and outside the classroom to to, to so mostly uh one or two of my dalit students who wrote about their school experiences mm-hmm. seem to suggest that their big problem with school and colleges was that uh there was the, the loneliness that they felt didn't come from not having any friends the loneliness that they felt came from having to accept a version of themselves that other people were shoving down their throats for ambedkar wrote about yeah. yeah and they didn't want to particularly be seen that way mm-hmm. um and so i got them to write a little bit about this it's on our uh, website called rohit vimala archive sure. this archive documents uh, 
Dalit Bahujan student writing on campus mm-hmm. and experiences of food, joy, pleasure, pain, everything. Uh, so this girl's story documents that for her. And she said uh, she had to learn the language of, uh, she took a long time to resist bullies and things like that. And at one point she says, by then I had learned the language to fill the gaps in my life, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. And um, this kind of solidarity, which which allows a teacher to take her stories into the classroom and get other students like her. Is emancipating. Uh, it yeah. is. It uh, is. This is Toni Morrison's idea of teaching, sure. which is to use stories in the classroom to to look to look another way, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is liberating for me because um, I always thought that a teacher was somebody who always had to have all the answers and could never be found saying no. I don't know. Um, I had to know everything. I had to be strict. I had to be taken seriously. I had to not laugh. I had to do all of these things. So this, I think, humanizes the relationship. It does. Your so writing it, is in the public domain, so your students are reading you. I can't hide. Yeah. I'm always there. And you don't want to, from what I yeah. understand. So it, it it's a it's a new approach to teaching, sure. which 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 I find has the capacity to confront gender and caste at once. Mm-hmm. And in your writing. Uh, Sorry, you've you've written about uh, mental health. Yes. And especially mental health and uh, Dalit students, mm, mm, uh, mm, women Dalit mm, students, mm. if I've read it right. Mm. Uh, what what has your uh, finding been on that? People often use uh, the idea of mental health to talk about um, how it's an equalizer <clears throat> sometimes because depression can happen to anybody, everybody, etc. But the discourse in the and the way in which psychology is practiced in a country means that they they remain blind to how caste realities affect depression, affect mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it surprising that most of the students who come to me with trauma, mental health, are not Dalit. Um, and I'm not saying that Dalit students are not affected by mental health. I'm sure they are. Sure, but. I don't know if if it reveals that they have the concerns. I mean, they have the distraction of keeping themselves alive on campus, which doesn't. I mean, they they don't often use the language of mental health to. to is there a greater tenacity, or is it denial? What what do you? Something my professor once told me. He said, uh, "If you have to worry about where your next meal is coming from, mm-hmm. you can't. You won't sit around talking about mental health." He said. And this is something that even my father told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask him if he ever had depression when he was studying engineering. And he told me I had to go around asking for uh, toothpaste from mm-hmm. my other roommates. <clears throat> and they made me do their engineering assignments for them. Mm-hmm. In, to get more, like one blob of toothpaste every morning, I used to sit and do record work for five people in a room. Wow. And when you have to do things like that, Tell me what kind of mental health problems you'll have. You're saying there's no time to be depressed. That's what he said. Really? Yeah. Um, and this is this is something I tend to believe in now. Because when you say something like, I can't be depressed, I'm Dalit. What you're essentially saying is that the narrative in which we are talking about mental health needs to change. It really does. It's asking a lot of somebody. And um, as much as I think it's to the credit of a community to be able to withstand mm-hmm. this much, but I'm pretty sure on an individual basis mm-hmm. it's going to catch up with you mm-hmm. at some point, isn't it? You may you may uh, break down later in mm-hmm. life. 
and we know how mental health is mm-hmm. is playing out so i think this is a is a very revealing thing you've said this is what i told my father that mm-hmm. uh, won't it do you good if you go and see somebody now mm-hmm. and he says everything that i needed to have done i should have done long ago right. and now he's not willing to admit and i find that resistance to seeking mental health professional help is also very interesting because he's saying this is not for me mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that i want to live all my life like this i'm a happy man he says and sure. he is a happy man he's a very funny man <laughs> and uh, he seems to have overcome it within the structure itself and i find that indian mental health conversations don't accord for that space for somebody like my father who seems to have go, gone through it all and yeah. says he's overcome it and doesn't necessarily need the language of mental health professionals to talk about this so it needs something else is what i'm saying it the intervention that is needed at this level is not the language of mental health it needs the language of anti caste discourse mm-hmm. to to talk about these things so very different empathy really yes and i mean that makes me wonder if we have uh, counselors who are sensitive mm-hmm. to caste to begin with mm-hmm. there could very well be a mental block as well for a young dalit student mm-hmm. to go to a counselor Definitely. they might wonder if uh, there is they do psychology in my college in other colleges universities in bangalore mm-hmm. i ask them how many of them talk about caste in your classrooms and you know how people will say we don't do discrimination based on the based on gender caste creed Mm-hmm. the they don't understand in what context they're using caste so there is very little conversation around caste happening in these classrooms where students are practicing to be psychologists um so i have no faith in this discourse i don't have faith in it because a lot of borrowing and mindless borrowing of terms is happening uh and i don't want to rely on this language to take a look at what the dalit bahujan student on campus is needs at the moment mm-hmm. in terms of an intervention that way that that language can't be the mental health language. when you say borrowing you mean uh, what you western said something practices, earlier race western practices savarna practices this idea of conflating about, race mm, with caste yes also this thing called things like self care etc mm-hmm. etc this 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 language that they seem to be using now i don't know how will i go and tell a student of mine who has to run from college to take tuitions for his neighborhood kids at 5 and he does this from 5 to 9 mm-hmm. his mother is a tailor his father sells tea and he wakes up in the morning to go give water right. to he has like severe shoulder pain and all of that and he's doing all of this i mean if i am going to sit him down and tell him things like you should do self care it's going to sound ridiculous yeah that's what i mean the problem there is caste so i don't think self care is an answer to a problem like caste it needs a different structural it does response. it does i think something that ambedkar proposed mm-hmm. in not some direct way but indirectly in the way he showed us how much he worked was the idea of self work more than self care um and that leading in turn to self respect yes that's what my father and my mother did they mm-hmm. took tremendous strength from doing this thing called self work sure um i've seen my father work he just retired now and i see how restless he is because he doesn't have anything to fuel it in now sure um but they they had their relationship with work and how my father looked at work is i i take a lot of solidity from that because 
uh, it's like a strong opposition to the idea of self care you need to do self work before you can do self care he seems to be saying he never used to give me i mean when i remember he hit me every time i didn't want to do math and things like that i was beaten black and blue i mean in today's i, I don't want to sound like some i don't know 1950 year old person but i think dalit parenthood is a very uncharted territory mm-hmm. um, dalit fatherhood or dalit motherhood right. are not right. things that are often talked about and in cities especially it's interesting to see how these people become parents mm. um they are they are the kind of challenges that they have uh, is not the kind of challenge that anybody is prepared for it's interesting i've never thought of that is there is there writing around this i i'm i'm sure there is there is i'm sure in memoirs and blogs etc in passing though. yeah yeah um so i'm working on writing about this now in the kind of challenges that these dalit parents face in the mm-hmm. city is twofold because you don't want your neighbors to find out who you are so you try to hide it but you also want to prepare your children to be competitive you want them to become ias officers and doctors and engineers sure. but you have to do all of this without letting them know what's out for you what's waiting for you out there um, and you have to do this by also appearing to your neighbors as like they are like them, going to yeah. each other's birthday parties yeah, and yeah. going for lunch parties and things like that and they don't have the necessary capital to survive this kind of city neighborhood discourse um we've lived in basmangudi for about 20 years now my parents don't have a single friend um they're like, serious yeah, they don't have friends in this neighborhood they don't have neighbors in that typical sense um uh, this is this is interesting for me um so when we come from a mode like this i can see why they would both invest in something called self work mm-hmm. and not self care and that is really self preservation yeah you have to do this for yourself and for your children thank you vijayta i think that's a very powerful point to stop this conversation on but i hope that we continue this conversation in the Definitely. days to come and i look forward to reading more of your work thank you for being on the podcast thank you thank you so much thank you for listening in to this conversation and i look forward to you joining us on the next edition of the podcast.